Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is the Gospel reading on the last Sunday of the liturgical year. The feast is Christ the King, and was instituted by Pope Pius XI in 1925. The world had gone through a war to end all wars. It was the swinging twenties. Politicians could fix everything and mankind was fully dependent on itself. The Pope decided it was time for us to focus on who was really in control. We needed to be reminded of who our King is. This passage of Scripture is such a favourite. It emphasises the poor. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink, a stranger and invite you in, naked and clothe you, sick or in prison. And we know the answer so well, don't we? Just as you did this for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did this for me. We know how we should behave, and then we fail. And that little word is such a downer, but it's so true. I know I don't go and visit people in prison or extend an invitation to my home to the homeless man I see sitting outside our library. I don't open my doors to strangers either, but I should. I should train my eye to see Jesus in everyone I meet. Let's pray that we're given the strength to recognize and act upon the opportunity to do just that in the future, shall we? This is serious stuff. At the second coming, I know I want to be counted among the righteous, and by accepting my salvific gift, I could should be called to serve. Amen. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons, too. A physically challenged child or parent, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who's bored in kindergarten, a conflict in religious teachings, a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who were not their mother. And I wanted to make my own decisions about how to raise my children. On this show, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers and graduates who find educational opportunities everywhere and thrive. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. God and children will do that. I've gained insights and delights that I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. 
the beauty of walking through woodlands in the middle of the city, the sound of the cardinal in the morning, rain falling softly, the whine of a dog pining for its master, the smell of pine trees in the stores, freshly baked cinnamon rolls, or a serious hug. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of salted caramel cocoa and a Danish, but I understand I'm over here broadcasting from my new flat in Garland, Texas, and you're over there listening in, and thank you very much. After the first break, I'm thrilled to be welcoming back Carol Topp, who writes about ultimate homeschooling and has been at three homeschool conventions this year, where she made a presentation called We're Not Raising Children, We're Raising Grown-Ups. Stay tuned and catch her after the break. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where I'm slowly unpacking from a move to end all moves, catching up with friends, experiencing flat living and buying a bed. Are you ready? We've moved from the ranch house in Lucas, said goodbye to the squirrel-catching barn cats, bid farewell to the horses and heard the last crow from Francois, the rooster. We're already missing the quiet, the countryside, the space, but not the noisy road. We moved into our flat just off a main street in Garland, not too far from where we used to live, and because we're set on a green belt and nature preserve, with the same creek running through it as the one that was at the bottom of our back field, it's very quiet quieter than the house, in fact, because of the way we're facing, and there are other buildings around us that are absorbing the traffic noise. It's quite amazing, really. After four days of peace, which reminded me of our silent flat in London, I was startled awake by an air conditioning unit going on in the middle of the night. My have-to-turn-that-thing-off-to-save-some-money sensor clicked in, and I sat up in bed, only to realize it was someone upstairs running their air, and the unit was right outside my bedroom window, along with three others. It clicked on and off every twenty minutes or so, and completely ruined the peace and quiet I'd been growing accustomed to but I placated myself by insisting I'd grow used to the hum as one grows used to white noise. It's the click as the unit comes on that disturbs me. <laughs> because we're on the ground floor and on a corner, we have four units sitting outside our bedroom window. Bad design because a little further along is the spare bedroom wall with no window and the units would have been much quieter situated there. Plus, they are a bit of an eyesore. My cowboy has hinted that he may be able to fake a triple glaze with perspex, which could help with the sound, as I can't imagine what it'll be like in the summer when all four units are clicking on. Hopefully we won't still be here. I do enjoy hearing the noise of other people around me, though. Footsteps upstairs don't bother me at all. It's quite reassuring to know that there are other live people really close by. We're fortunate not to share any walls with a neighbour, only a ceiling. I've seen children playing outside and dogs being walked, so the courtyard we overlook feels like a little community, little village square, actually. At boarding school, I'd hear noises in the convent coming from way upstairs. We had floorboards, no fitted carpets for us, so footsteps were clear and heavy, and I'd think, oh, I'll be up there soon, joining them in their clomping. It never bothered me. 
When we first moved into the flat, I thought I'd only lived in a flat when I first came to Dallas, but then I remembered that we lived in flats in Beirut and Tehran, and then we lived in one when I was even younger in Germany, and I realized I've had, I've had my fair share of apartment-dwelling experiences, as well as my children. I've also lived in a flat in Spain, in Funkirola by the sea. It was bang in the middle of the promenade and flanked by restaurants and noisy with music singing, conversation, children and traffic. And I was able to sleep knowing that there was activity going on around me. I was quite reassured and not in the least disturbed. I'm sure I'll get used to the air conditioning unit clicking on and off regularly. But the other night, I have to admit, I wanted to call upstairs and say, open a window, because it was quite cool outside. In fact, it's running at the moment and I have my heat on in in my apartment right now. So I'd like to meet that person who needs such a cool apartment. Well, it's time for my first break, so go and replenish your drink, and I'll be back in just a moment with my guest, Carol Top. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out MarkLipinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm delighted to have Carol Top joining me again this afternoon to talk to us about a presentation she made at three homeschool conventions this year entitled... We're not raising children, we're raising grown-ups. Carol and her husband live in Westchester, Ohio, and have two grown daughters, both homeschooled through high school and launched into adulthood. Carol worked from home throughout her homeschooling days and authored Homeschool Co-ops, How to Start Them, Run Them and Not Burn Out. She is also the author of the Micro Business for Teens series, where she gives tips and advice to aspiring young entrepreneurs. If you pop over to my Sociable Homeschooler page, you'll find her other shows where she talked to me about co-ops, how to encourage children to be entrepreneurs, and her own careers, which we discussed earlier this year. Welcome, Carol, to my show. Oh, thank you for having me back, Vivian. Well, Carol, I know that the last time we talked, you um, had mentioned an upcoming series or book that you were uh, working on uh, for this fall. Has that, has that come out yet? Where, where is that? It's still a work in process. Mm -hmm. I am working on a 
book about career exploration for homeschool high school students. I have a group of students who will probably be using it in January when they start a class and after they kind of work through the the book. It's obviously much of a workbook. Um, I'll make improvements and probably try to release it sometime in 2015. That's great that you've got somebody that can actually test it before you release it. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably have, I hope they have lots of good feedback for me. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Well, good luck with that. And also, um, I mentioned that you talk at homeschool conventions, and I know you're, you're busy doing that. And I picked up on one of the presentations that you were giving this year, which I've already mentioned called We're Not Raising Children, We're Raising Grown-Ups. And I love the title. The title kind of stood out to me because that is so true. Although we're raising our children to become adults and be able to go out into the world, we're really raising them to become um, a grown-up. So tell me a little bit about what your motivation was behind this presentation and I think the timeliness of the presentation for today and today's youth. Well, I was obviously motivated by my own daughters growing up. They're now 21 and 23, but I was really motivated by things I was hearing. And one one particular circumstance happened when I was at a homeschool convention and a mother came up to my booth and my banner, uh, which says homeschool CPA, because that's what I do. I That's my other website where I help homeschool leaders. <laughs> and she uh, wanted to talk to me as a CPA because she had a son who had just started working for one of the big four accounting firms. And he was working 60 hours a week. It was tax season. <laughs> and she was very concerned about that and very concerned because he couldn't go to Wednesday night church services. <laughs> and she said to me, what should I do? And I thought, ma'am, there's nothing you should do. He's young. He's healthy. He's starting his career. Uh, you know, if he can't make it to Wednesday night church services, it doesn't mean, he, you know, he's lost his <laughs> salvation. This is not an appropriate place for you anymore to mm-hmm. interfere in his professional career. Mm-hmm. And, and so I told her, I said, you have to stop being a homeschool mom. You, you needed to have stopped five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just got concerned and I started hearing other things and not, not just in the homeschool arena, but you hear this term, Vivian, helicopter parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's becoming so pervasive that we as parents have a tendency to hang on to our kids long after they should have been emancipated. Mm-hmm. So that's what prompted me to start thinking about this and start talking to other homeschool parents about the whole idea of let's raise them to be independent adults, independent from us. And also the difficulty, I think, that some parents have from stepping back and not um, hovering over their adult children who are out in the workforce um, plays alongside that reluctance that the children have to let go (laughs) of the parents. Because, you know, the the children are making, not all of the children, some children make the break really well and very quickly, but some children don't make that break either, which is almost enabling the parent to carry on being that protective helicopter parent and they're feeding each other with that. So, Wow. Yeah. You know, that funny movie, this was probably over 10 or 15 (laughs) years ago now about failure to launch. It was Mm -hmm. a movie, but it was exactly that. He, the main character, was over 30, didn't want to leave home because mom took care of him. That's (laughs) right. That's right. Well, I can remember my son, my oldest son, when he decided that he was, well, he'd graduated from college and he had a job, but he was having a problem 
um, making ends meet. So he said, well, can I come back and live at home just for a while, just to get my bank balance um, built up? It didn't last very long because he had been very independent up to that, you know, kind of coming home and there were still kids at home. So I was still very much mom. We were still very much parents. And, you know, so it wasn't as if he was coming back and the only child at home. And uh, he he did say, though, oh, but it was so good for my bank balance. And you know that, <laughs> that's OK if they save that money. You know, I don't have a problem with that. It's when they come home and every penny that they make, they because they're not paying, you know, large rent and, and food and all of that, that it gets spent. So let's let's talk or hear from you anyway, a little bit about how you feel about balancing that kind of thing. Well, I you know, it's tricky because um, the economy has not been good. And that's why a, a lot of students had to return home. But I think what you and your son consciously did was say, here are the reasons you're coming home. Almost a, maybe you even had some sort of verbal agreement about this is what we'll pay for. This is what we won't. Mm-hmm. I'm having those conversations with my with my emancipated daughter now. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm still going to pay for. Like, uh, I'll still have you on our cell phone plan, but she's sending me money every month for her portion. those kinds of things so you have to have a lot of discussions and of course they don't start the minute you leave home you start that much earlier when they're teenagers and you start slowly releasing control and I've got some tips and ideas not just from me but from other resources I've found too Mm -hmm. that are very helpful to get you to slowly work at launching these kids it's not just done one day it's over time so let's talk about that then I've got some parents probably listening who maybe have nine, 10 year olds, 11, 12 year olds, where, where do they start? How young do they start? Oh gosh. Yeah. My kids were probably eight years old when they started doing their own laundry. Okay. And I think that's a great place to start uh, doing, taking care of some of their own things that, that they need to do. You know, I was just looking at a, at a, a blog post by mother homeschool mom who was completely overwhelmed. And the advice given to her was have the kids do some of these chores. And her attitude was, well, they're already so busy with their sports and their schoolwork and their activities. And it's just easier if I just do their chores instead of teach them how. Mm. Well, that's a woman headed for disaster, Mm. isn't she, Vivian? Mm. She's already exhausted, burned out. And now she is not equipping her children who I think were ages 12 and nine Mm -hmm to be those adults we want them to be. So just something as simple as kids, you do your own laundry. And if they don't do their laundry, guess what? They're going to suffer the consequences of it because they won't have clothes to wear mm-hmm. <laughs> that are clean. So, you know, doing their own laundry, learning how to uh, clean up after a meal, learning how to cook a meal, very, very practical stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really important to start at pretty young age, pretty young, nine, 10, definitely preteens. Well, and allowing your children to do that, because I grew up in a house where my mother wouldn't let me do anything in the kitchen. She didn't want me doing anything at all. So I didn't get that. I I wasn't taught how to cook or she would rather do it herself. Wow. Yeah. And, mm, you know, I I kind of understand that because, you know, my mother, my mother raised me with this saying, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I've heard that so many times, but, but now I'm thinking as an adult, that's not always a very healthy attitude to take, especially not when our goal should be to raise these kids to, to leave us and to be independent. Like we want to be independent exactly. of our parents. They want to too, and they need to be. 
And, you know, thinking about it, that goes into the workplace, too, because you you go into the workplace and you have managers and you see some of the managers that really won't let anything go. They cannot delegate. They're too frightened to let stuff go. And then there are other managers that are, you know, they they supervise you. They're micromanagers. And so you've got no, you can't express yourself in any way. So, you know, that starts at a really young age, just gradually allowing your children to do things and letting them see you let go of certain things so that they can become responsible. And, you know, it, it's really interesting. When I was thinking about this, I read a book called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother okay. by a woman named uh, Amy Chua. Now, it's a very contro- controversial book. She's been, received a lot of criticism because she calls herself a tiger mom. But one thing that kind of opened up my eyes was she explained that Western parents, we being Western parents, she's a Chinese American. Mm-hmm. She comes from more an Eastern parent parenting uh, um, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. But she says us Western parents here in the United States, we're very anxious about our children's self-esteem. Mm-hmm. But she says, you know, we end up assuming our children are weak, but a tiger mom assumes their child is strong and can take it, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. that, that they assume strength, not fragility. And I think about that and I think, you know what, she's got, she's right. We somehow think, or we think all our kids are above average and wonderful. Yes. But we also think that somehow they could not like your mother, <laughs> learn how to cook a meal correctly or do the laundry correctly or do things right or or take a risk or step out and start a micro business. All these wonderful things that they will learn so much from. We think their precious self-esteem might get hurt if they fail. Mm-hmm. And instead, failure is a wonderful way to learn something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really interesting how we we do worry about our child's self-esteem. And because of that, we do tend to do much more for them to kind of protect them. Yes. Mm. Mm. I like that. But, you know, my mother, um, her, her, the way that she raised me was perfect for me because I grew up thinking, well, I can do this and I can, nobody can tell me that I can't do anything. (laughs) Good good for her. So, I mean, that, that, that became what, what my, my thing was. So she was perfect for me. and, And I think a lot of times, God works in wonderful ways. And, you know, you're given those children to help grow you in certain areas that you need growing. And the children, you know, are are raised in in a way that, um, you know, that's best for them within that family unit. So it works both ways, I think. (laughs) All right. So other tips. So we've got um, doing their own laundry, clean up after a meal. I used to get my children to help me do housework. That was great. I had all this wonderful manpower on house cleaning day, you know, six of us or five of us, that was five man hours in an hour. And, you know, it was just incredible. And I taught them, you know, I said to them, look, you know, we're all working together. It take us an hour. Whereas if I had to do it on my own, it would take me five hours. And they looked at yes. me and they went, wow. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I love my, you know, my daughters who my house cleaners left me. But, I mean, the house is not as messy. But, boy, I feel it when, when that day comes around. Because, yeah, all three of us used to just tackle the house and get it done in no time. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, at the same time I was I was thinking about this, I came across a book um, called The Self-Propelled Advantage by Joanne Calderwood. And I'll, and I'll give you those notes, Vivian, to add. But um, Joanne Calderwood, she's from a great website called You Are the Mom. And she wrote this book called Self-Propelled Advantage. She talked about 
micromanaging your teenager. Mm -hmm. And I just pulled out three things that I thought were good signs that you're micromanaging and maybe need to who examine your parenting style. But but one thing she kept three things she touched on. One is you help your teenager without being asked first. Mm -hmm. If you're stepping in without them asking for help first, you might be guilty of micromanaging them. Or you run all their schedules of activities. In other words, you're the one saying, you have to go here, do that, do this. Instead, as teenagers, they should start learning how to use a planner and a calendar and sometimes make their own appointments for haircuts, doctors, things like that. Mm -hmm. So try to let them run their own schedule of activities. If you're still doing that as a teenager, you might be guilty of micromanaging them. Mm -hmm. And then the last one Joanne Calderwood pointed out, the self-propelled advantage was you step in before your teenager makes a mistake. And that's probably what the helicopter parents are guilty of and what we touched on earlier about, I don't want to see them make a mistake, so I'm going to step in. Well, guess what? If they make mistakes now or you provide a safety net for them, then they're going to learn and not make those mistakes when they're much bigger and more expensive as adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, though, I think parents, their children become their lives. Yes. Especially when we're homeschooling and we don't have a career outside the home. And so our children becomes that surrogate career, I suppose. Yes. Um, You know, sort of tips for poor mums like that, because they're doing the very, very best that they can for their children, they believe. And letting go and allowing them to make mistakes just does not seem like a good parent to them. Um, wow. But it is again, again, if our goal is to raise a child who's dependent upon us, yeah, you might rescue them all the time. But, um, I think, I think we need to realize, of course, our identity is not supposed to be in our children, that we're here to, to do a job for a while. And then our job is to go on to the next thing so they can become adults. So I had a friend of mine say to me when, um, my children were in college and I had taken my accounting knowledge and was starting to help homeschool organizations with it. And she said, Carol, I just admire you so much what you're doing. I'm trying to copy you. I'm trying to be prepared for when my kids are Mm -hmm. gone. So she taught Spanish and she tutored Spanish and she was going to try to build that into a full-time career after her children were grown and then has the double blessing of being able to help pay for college. If, if you as the mom, have some other career or interest or something other than your parents. And it it might be continuing to stay in the homeschool arena like I have. I'm now helping homeschool leaders. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not that your whole identity is wrapped around these kids, that you have an identity as a wife, you have identity as as a sister, as a daughter, as a friend. You maybe, you know, you gotta make up your your wish list. Mm -hmm. What what I want to do when my kids leave. One thing on my wish list besides, you know, devoting more time to helping homeschool organizations was taking uh, drawing classes. And I finally did. I, I took a drawing class and now I'm going to start a watercolor class tomorrow night. I'm so excited. Oh, wow. That's fabulous. Yeah. That's yeah. fabulous. You're, you've always done that though, because that the our conversation that we had on careers, you had so many things going on and each one led to another. And in the end, your accounting um, enabled you to be able to do that at home while you were raising your girls. Yeah. So that worked really well for you. And you've, you've always managed, you've always been able to do that. Um, and I think, have you passed it on to your children? I'm sure you have, but, you know. 
Yeah, you know, it's really fun to see my oldest daughter, who uh, ironically is working for an accounting firm. She studied accounting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Friday nights, she goes and she leads a Bible study for international students at Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's wonderful because she has some identity outside of just what her focus is right now, which is obviously being an accountant. You know, we're not just one-dimensional people. We're mm-hmm. all multidimensional. So we all always ought to try to keep that in mind. You know, you're not just a homeschooling mom. Um, we are more than that. God has gifted us in many ways. And for a time period, of course, that's where a huge commitment is going to homeschooling your children. But you are always more than that. And you always will be more than that. Even if you don't homeschool and you're not a mom and you're a single person, but you're a career person and you're following your career, if you just keep those blinkers on (laughs) and that's all you do, like my son's a filmmaker, for example, if that's all he did was film and nothing else, he wouldn't be a very interesting person. (laughs) So I think you you grow up, um, you should grow up being encouraged to have different, you know, facets, not just be one person. I don't think we ever look at our children when they're really young. It's just one dimensional, do we? No. Matter of fact, you you know, we put our kids in lots of activities because we're trying to figure out what they're good at, you know, <laughs> right. um, right. and we should try to realize that that day is coming too. I realize for a lot of homeschool moms right now that that day is not there, but it might be coming when you get to explore some of the things you're interested in. All right, Carol, we've got to go on a short break now. I'm talking to Carol Top, and we're talking about our children and how, how we can raise them to go out into the world as adults without continuing being that helicopter mom or um, you know feeling that we're responsible for them once they've gone out into the world and, and find responsibility for themselves. And after the break, we'll be continuing with our conversation. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Carol, how does dating, marriage, courtship, I know some of us who have older teens and some of us who have children in in their 20s and maybe early 30s are worried a little bit about... um, you know, whether or not our children are ever going to meet the right person. And 
you know, your your presentation, we're not raising children, we're raising grown-ups. To me, all part of growing up is this transition into the workforce, maybe meeting somebody, the marriage, the family, you know, the children and grandchildren and all of that. We all have these wonderful visions for our children. So could you could we just talk just a little bit about that? We don't have to get into great detail, but we can talk a little bit about how that ties in. Yeah, well, uh, every child is different and every relationship with uh, their parent is different. So I have one daughter, she's 21, her senior year of college, and I asked her, you know, basically, how did homeschooling uh, not prepare you well? Where, where was their weakness in, because I homeschooled and preparing you for, you know, a college life in particular? And the one thing she said, Vivian, was, well, relationships. Mm-hmm. I didn't have very many friendships with guys. Mm-hmm. And then she goes off to college and she's studying media production film like mm-hmm. your son. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a male dominated major. She's in one class where there are three girls and 17 guys. Mm-hmm. So guess what? She's surrounded by. And, um, you know, so she's working that out and figuring that out. And it's wonderful to see her grow and have these relationships with guys that are friends, really friends. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she said there's this really weird pressure at, at she goes to a Christian college. If you just end up walking down the sidewalk with a guy talking to him, everybody thinks that you're in a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, oh, dear. Um, but, you know, I remember um, when we were there at parent day and they drop, you know, they you're dropping off your kid and they, they get all the parents together in a room and they give us advice. And one piece of advice they said was about relationships. And they said, parents stay out of the roommate relationship. If your child has a, has a conflict or problem with their roommate, stay out of it. And the reason is roommates are preparation for marriage. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to get along with people. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was wonderful advice. Now my daughter has had wonderful roommates, but in any close living relationship like that, you're going to have to work out the kinks. So I think it's a wonderful thing for, for, you know, teenagers and and more so young adults to have lots of relationships with all kinds of people of all kinds of ages and to have roommates <laughs> so they learn how to get along with them. Yeah, people. yeah. You had just the two, not just the two right. girls, but you had two girls, so there were no boys in your family. That's right. And I had two boys and two girls, so there were plenty of both um, <laughs> kinds running around the house because they all had friends um, of their own gender. Um, but I, th- I think that's very interesting. But I was raised in a all-girls school, all-girls mm-hmm. boarding school, so I didn't have any of that. So, it, right. you know, I thought that was a very brave question that you asked your daughter, actually. Where did, when I was in the homeschooling, where where were, did you feel that you weren't prepared? And, you know, in my defense, <laughs> this is what I talked to her about, I said, uh, sometimes you're you're too young at those high school years, and especially some of the boys are too immature mm-hmm. to understand how to have a friendship with a girl. Mm-hmm. They get into high school, college, it's a little better. Mm-hmm. And now she she has two genuine friendships and not romantic mm-hmm. relationships with guys. But mm-hmm. it, sometimes it takes those years of maturing to get that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I, you know, my girls never really dated and never dated really in high school. In college, there's there are these sort of arranged they call them pick a dates, kind of arranged group dates that they go on. And mm-hmm. and and my one daughter's not been on any dates that she tells me about. Um, but the second one has been on a few. But she has a, a rule of thumb which I like. She called it the three date rule. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've 
this, Vivian, but yeah. she came up with this. It's not like I told her this or anything, but um, three dates. It takes about three dates to figure out if you really have any chemistry or long-term relationship with a guy. After three dates, if you don't feel it, you know, chemistry, relationship, whatever, cut it off. Yeah. Stop. Go on to the next guy, you know, or, or not date anybody as she's had for many times. So I kind of like that rule of thumb. I kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, you don't go steady after one date. You decide three dates. Yeah. Um, you know, we, some people, it seems like there are two camps in homeschooling. You're either hundred percent courtship or you're hundred percent anti-courtship. And I've kind of tried to let my daughters find their own way, set their own um, guidelines, if you will. And we talk about it, but I did not tell them how to date or how to court. Mm -hmm. Other parents have, other parents have, and, um, there's pros and cons to that. Yeah. And, and I don't think I did with my girls either, except that we didn't really encourage dating until, um, 18, until they graduated from high school or started going to college when I felt that, gosh, if they're old enough to go to college and they're probably old enough to make up their own minds and make their own decisions as to who mm-hmm. who they want to be friends with. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't think I formally got into that. And uh, I'm very much of, of the mind of, you know, make friends, have have a yeah. lot fi- yes. to find out who, who, you know, you have a good rapport with and who you don't. And very often you you are drawn to people that are like, your brother or your father yeah. or your mother, you know, have those same qualities yeah. eventually. So that's mm-hmm. really interesting. So that model remains the um, something that you can you can model at home as a parent. And uh, yeah, good relationships with good. all kinds of people. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And you know, in the workplace, I can remember I was at a conference, and oh, I was I was training to be a Stephen minister, and in this conference. The leader said that you never, in a work situation, go out with just one-on-one opposite sex. You know, this, the the boss will yeah. never just should never just ask his secretary out for lunch to reward, you know, as a gift or you know for her birthday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Always somebody else. And I thought that was that was you know that that was interesting and and it was a, a good um, rule of thumb to um, go by. And it's the same kind of thing as your daughter, you know, if, if she's seen walking just on her own with, with a guy across campus, you know, she suddenly becomes, a, they become an item. And, you know, this, this dating or going out in numbers and, and groups, you know, um, is, is safety so that you don't get tagged and have to, you know, maybe get a responsibility that you don't want, you know, because, ooh, they think we're a couple. So right. maybe we should start acting like a couple before yeah. we're ready to do that. So. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've heard the rule in the business world, too, about don't don't go out with one member of the opposite sex. And, and I understand that. But it's um, it's not that easy in the business world. My daughter is, again, working for an accounting firm. And she said yesterday, my her her, her next hire up, her boss, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went out to lunch. But it was a public place. It, he's a married man. It mm-hmm. was so that they would have a, a private conversation about her, how she's doing on her job so far. Mm-hmm. So it happens, but of course you you um, you need to teach your children this. This is part of helping them to be grown ups, and especially the girls. I took them to self defense classes. You want to make them aware of how they're coming across. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be too giggly. You know, we don't. And you know, um, don't be too silly in the workplace when you're trying to be respected for your for your brains, not mm-hmm. your looks. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So we try to help 
them understand how they're coming across mm-hmm. and what situations they might be putting themselves in, which might not be comfortable. Okay, so this this Ooh. yes, good. That's, a <laughs> That's right. Um, this raising our children um, not as children but as grown ups goes beyond because immediately you think, okay, so that they can manage themselves out in the workforce, but it's really in the world. Oh. Finding an apartment, you know, my my youngest daughters had to jump through so many hoops just trying to get electricity turned on and find <laughs> yeah. the best. You know, she's got a choice for like six companies, and she says, "Oh, which one do I choose?" And she did. She she was really good. She called all of them and found. She said, "This one charges zero point six something per yeah. something," and I'm going, yeah. "I don't understand any of that." But <laughs> she was she was just going for the lowest number and. And uh, so there's more to it than that. So how much more? I mean, I mean, yes, obviously, we know how much more. But talk to us a little bit about more than just being an entrepreneur and getting into business. Well, I'm going to refer you to another book because it's 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 a lot out there. And I was so glad when I found this book. It's called Parenting for the Launch by Dennis Tritton, T-R-I. T-T-I-N, Dennis Tritton. And he co-authored it with a woman named Erilyn Lawrence, who was a homeschool mom. But so Dennis and Erilyn in Parenting for the Launch just talk about many steps you can take. And and mostly their emphasis is on incrementally releasing control. Okay. Give over those reins. Give them wings and not strings, as they say. Mm -hmm. So some things like we kind of touched on about let them keep their own calendar. Uh, Let them make their own appointments. How about have them fix meals, do their own laundry, managing their own money, Mm -hmm. um, important things like that. When I did this presentation at homeschool conferences, I touched on six areas and some of them you have to do with finances, life skills, stuff like that. But, um, the, the whole point is again, incrementally releasing control so that they're learning to exercise their muscles in these areas and not you, because if you keep exercising your muscles, you know, Vivian, like if you had done all the research on electric companies for your daughter, <laughs> she wouldn't have exercised that muscle when she needed it again, yes. because she probably will. Yeah. So that's why we need to step back and let our kids do these things that they need. To. Now, it's nice. Isn't it nice, Vivian, when they call and they discuss things with you? <laughs> that's right. It and is. that's your role. You're stepping out of the active parenting role and more into the I'll just be ears and listen to you talk. That's sometimes all they want. Mm-hmm. Or if asked, I'll say, oh, have you thought about this or that? And, and it's really nice to have those kinds of conversations now with my adult daughters. I really like it when they call. I love it. One of them called and said, Mom, I want your opinion on something. And I'm just, yeah. I'm just like laughing. This is so fun. Thank yeah. you. So, yeah. Well, one of the... Um, things that my husband has shown our children is when you when you're in a telephone conversation say your time warner cable isn't working the way it's supposed to be working and so you're calling them the technicians and that he always says get them on your side find out who they their name use their name and say i'm having this problem what can we do about it you know draw them into the problem and so again my youngest daughter said, well, you know, I, I did everything that, that dad does. I didn't get angry. She said, I really wanted to get angry because <laughs> he just wasn't understanding what I was trying to say. And after about the third call, phone call, she in the end, she had to let her father deal with it. And uh, the guy, the, the, the people were completely different because he was a man. And uh, that really frustrated her. Oh, as well it should. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's well, it should. And, and she said, I did everything I was supposed to do. I didn't get angry. I wasn't, you know, sort of snippy or, you know, I was. I was you know, it's, it's hard because 
they if it's over the telephone, they can hear it that this is a young woman and mm-hmm. hear it in her voice and they treat her a certain way. Mm-hmm. So probably she needs to lower her voice an octave if she can. Oh, that's she a good needs idea. to speak with a little more authority and confidence. And mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, there's a great TED talk, but it's basically about fake it until you make it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't feel confident, well fake it until you do feel confident mm-hmm. and sometimes it comes. Um, but th- those are the things that come with wisdom. Like your, your your husband was trying to impart the wisdom he had from years of dealing with problems over the phone. Here's some tips. And that was that was great. What he was doing was exactly what a, a father in his position and in, in his stage of life with his daughter is supposed to do. Let me give you some tips. Not take it over, not do it for you until it got to the point where she wanted, she needed some assistance. Well, yes, yes. First. Yeah. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. She's very independent. She won't ask for help unless she absolutely exactly. has to. And, and again, we shouldn't step in. Practice, start practicing with teenagers, but definitely with adults. Don't step in unless they ask. And even when they ask, sometimes they just want a sounding board, don't they, Vivian? They yeah. just want to talk it through and then they'll go do it on their own, whatever they have to do. Yeah, that's right. So, um, Carol, you did three homeschool conferences. I'm presuming that you did the three homeschool conferences, not others, or was it just those conferences where you present made this presentation? Yeah, I presented this three times. So that okay. was kind of fun. Different audiences each time. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what kind of feedback did you get? You know, I got, um, I got feedback, uh, where parents really wanted to talk about why do we helicopter parent because of fear or our identity is wrapped in our kids. Mm-hmm. I remember one mom coming up to me afterwards, and of course I did not know her son. I didn't know her, but she was concerned because he wanted to go overseas on a mission trip, and she was telling me all his handicaps, if you will, or all you know. And I, I said, I, you know, I don't know your son, but why don't you ask the advice of someone who does know your son? Mm-hmm. In other words, get someone else from an outside opinion to see if they think your son is ready for this adventure. Um, and then I said to her, Vivian, I made a mistake when I asked this. Um, I said, what's the worst thing that could happen? <laughs> she said, he could die. Yeah. Oh, and I had no reply. But the honest truth is they could die on their way to church tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, boy, it was just it was really not not a. I was not going to impart any logic to this woman that was going to be able to release her son. She was going to have to, to trust. She was, you know, that no matter what happened, even if he got into horrible problems, that this was going to be worthwhile. Hmm. And, and that, that was hard. That was hard for me to counsel her because I didn't know her son and I didn't know what obstacles he might be up against. But some of that would be though, if he felt that he was ready or if your child feels that they're ready to do something like that and they are old enough Yes. Perhaps, perhaps. I have a, um, my youngest daughter loves the story of she really, really wanted to learn how to sew on a button, not just sew a little seam. She actually wanted to learn how to sew on a button. She was maybe seven and I showed her how to do it. Well, she got into such a mess because I mean, it's difficult to remember that you go up and down, up and down and you don't get it. You know, you just go all wrong. And she got so frustrated and so upset and she started to cry. And I said to her, why are you crying? And she said, because I thought this was going to be fun and it isn't fun at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, well, you know, you've just got to let them. She thought she was ready to do that. So I didn't say, no, I'm not going to, because it really, you know, you, you can hardly 
tie your own shoelace or thread your own laces in your own little things because she had her, her small um oh what's it called the the small motor skills yes were the best because she, yeah because she had um something wrong with her eyes and um you know one of her eyes turned in so she didn't have really good depth perception but I wanted her to try it for herself so that she could see I didn't want her to fail obviously but I just wanted to to you know sort of help I didn't want to say to her no I don't think you can handle that <laughs> so. well you know, here back to Amy Chua, which we talked about earlier in the battle, battle hymn of the Tiger Mother, she pushed her children very hard to learn uh, violin. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she said, it, you know, it's not fun. It's, practicing is not fun. The fun, if, if there is any, but the joy of accomplishment only comes after all those hours of practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my, my daughter, uh, well, both of them, but one of my daughters played piano and you only get that joy of accomplishment after you've worked at something. So you don't want them to give up too easily. You want them to kind of have that difficulty because there's huge joy in overcoming difficulty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to cheat our kids out of that. No, no, we don't. Oh, she can sew on a button now. Exactly. Anyway, so right. she's, she's exactly. fine with that. But, you know, sometimes I think if, they're, if they feel that they want to do something and you as a parent think, well, yes, they're, they're probably old enough to, to go on a mission trip or, or, yeah. or you know, a, uh, what, a road trip with their friends, um, let them do that, you know. And actually I was writing down as you were talking about that, what's the worst thing that can happen? Because that's the thing I always say well what's the worst that can happen in a situation like that you know and I mean obviously the worst is that worst one but really when it comes down to it it's not a some most of this is not a life and death um you know situation so they're not putting themselves in danger obviously you're not going to let your toddler kick a ball next to a main road um because they are putting themselves in danger but when they get older you know you're not quite so so worried when they're playing basketball out there in the front yard and I, I think this mother, and I'm going to read into a lot into her question, the one who didn't want to let her son go on a mission trip. I think it was partially, there was a lot of fear. Okay. So again, she's got that issue to deal with, with trusting, you know, the Lord and all that stuff. But there was also maybe the fear of not being needed anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I want him to still need me because because then I have purpose. Yeah. So that's what we, we talked about earlier about uh, we need to, get over that fear or that sense of our purpose is all tied up in our children and find our own, find our own purpose. Yeah. And, and, and raising our children to be grown ups is a purpose for a season. And then after that, we need to find another purpose in our lives, which, um, you know, is, is to be there as well, be good examples. I think my husband and I are trying that now, you know, we're going to show our children that just because all our kids have left home, um, doesn't mean that we're going to sit around and pine <laughs> waiting for them to call. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know what? You would think that we don't have anything else to do because they, you know, they call at all times of the day and expect us to be immediately <laughs> enthralled in whatever it is they want to tell us. So I look at my husband and I say, gosh, I don't think they think we have a life. <laughs> no, they don't. I didn't think. Yeah. <laughs> and we do. But, uh, surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah. Well, Carol, it's been such a delight talking to you this afternoon. And um, I've been talking to Carol Topp about her fascinating presentation on raising our children as adults. I'm sure her words have encouraged those of you who are just embarking on this and helped to sow the seeds of independence for those of you who are newcomers to homeschooling. And um, Carol had some very good pointers as to how we can 
um, develop our own skills and, and be our own um, people as well as parenting our children. Carol and her husband live in Westchester, Ohio, and they have two grown daughters who are both um, fully high-schooled, fully colleged and out into the world. Um, Carol can be found at microbusinessforteens.com and homeschoolcpa.com, both of which I have linked on my website, The Sociable Homeschooler, and on my Toginet radio page. Thank you, Carol, for joining me this afternoon. You have a fabulous weekend. Thank you, Vivian. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Carol had some really good points, didn't she? I think the one I followed and taught my children was keep your own interests. Don't get so caught up in your spouse, your friends, your children that you lose who you are. If you start the way you mean to go on, letting go will be easier because you'll not be letting go of your identity. If you don't remember what you used to enjoy doing in your life before children, read Max Lucado's book, finding your sweet spot. In it, he helps us recall what it was we used to do when we were young that had those hours simply flying by. I have two sweet spots, and I've always cultivated them. Reading is one, and I read a lot to the children. I'd have as many as seven or eight books on the go at any given time, and the other one is writing. And yes, we wrote a lot in our homeschool and told stories too. Both of those can become reclusive activities, though, and I had to develop a social life outside my home. Of course, that included my sweet spot activities, and I love my reading critique group. There are six of us in it, and we've become very, very good friends. And an added bonus is that we're all letting go of our children, so it does double duty as a support group, too. I'm not saying this pursuit of your own interests is a magic formula that'll banish all angst over losing your children to their independence, but it certainly helps to be around like-minded friends. And now that we're in our own place for the first time in 18 months, unless I count the four months in Florida, it really wasn't our own place, but it was somewhere where we were on our own. Now that we're 
in our own flat, we're entertaining. We invited some friends over three days after we had moved in. I was completely unpacked and they were amazed. It helps when you have a useful and willing cowboy by your side. I cooked and at the request of my guests, I made a meal I have never served to anyone except my immediate family, shepherd's pie and rice pudding. My guests said they hoped they hadn't put me on the spot as they wondered if I'd ever made a shepherd's pie before and I said, I'm English. It's like asking me if I've ever made a pot of tea. And Dorts, when she popped in the next day and had leftovers, said it tasted just the same. And it does. Just the same as my mum's. The rice pudding was a hit too. I made the mistake of looking it up online and getting an English site, of course, and I decided on the recipe that looked the best. And when I went to assemble the rice and sugar and butter, etc., I realised it was in grams and milliliters. And I was going to double the recipe because it was only for four and there were only four of us. And go figure, I love to have leftovers. Then I worked out that I would need two litres of milk and a load of cream. And I only had one litre of milk and a pint of cream. So I had to cut back on the sugar and butter I'd already melted. Conversion solved. Thanks to my trusty Google help, I popped it all in the oven for two hours. And it was fabuloso. What a way to do a dinner party, all pre-cooked or baked in the oven. To go with the rice, and a little fancier than just a dollop of strawberry jam, I took some fresh fruit that I had, raspberries, blackberries and halved grapes, mixed in the overage of the melted butter and sugar, and a jigger or two of port, and heated it in the microwave, then covered it up and let it steep. It was deliciousness itself, and I call it compote, at least my version of compote. Gosh, that was easy, and our friends ate seconds and would have had thirds if it wouldn't have appeared greedy. Anyone for shepherd's pie and rice pudding? A family meal I would never normally cook for guests, but which I will now, again and again. We don't have a television for the moment. I'm sure we will soon, so I'm making the most of it. My well-heeled stranger friend asked, Well, what do you do in the evenings without TV? Some people do ask the darndest questions. I write, read, potter. So does my Texan. And just as we're thinking of going to bed, we've discovered Netflix on our computers. It's a little smaller than a 39-inch TV screen, but it works. My teacher daughter had just bought herself a computer, and she says it was great going from watching Netflix and movies on her phone to watching them on her computer. I don't think I could go as small as my phone. And we bought something. You'd think with a storage unit full of stuff, we would never need to buy anything again. I was against purchasing a thing that I wouldn't consider taking to our new place, which will be after this place. We needed a bed in the office spare room for when our filmmaker son visits at Christmas for 10 days from L.A. We were going to get a futon, but that didn't go down too well, and I agree they're not the most comfortable of beds. We have a pull-out sofa bed, but that's uncomfortable. The mattress is thin and the springs are pokey. And since we want our son to stay as many nights as possible, we decided to buy something that would be more sleep on a ball without giving you a terrible backache. I didn't want a single bed because I would never buy a single bed for our new house and a queen won't fit in the office if I want to do yoga and sit at my desk and most of the time when visitors aren't visiting I don't really need a bed in this room so off we went to Ikea and we looked at their selection of bed options. They all have wooden slats. All the sofas, all their sofas actually have wooden slats 
And I like that instead of the box springs and thin springs that dig into the ribs. And we found a sleeper sofa that was amazing. And when we got it home, we forewent the delivery and strapped it in the boot of our car and drove really slowly. It wasn't as precarious as the mattress on the roof jaunts that we made several times when we played the part of the clampets on the move again. We saved ourselves $60 by taking it with us and almost 100 by assembling it ourselves. And... I tell you, it did need some assembly, rather more than some, actually, and I helped. Once the frame was complete, we unpacked the mattress and read that it needed to sit overnight to fully plump, but we ignored that directive, reckoning that the mattresses, there's one on the part that you sit on and one is the bag, um, <clears throat> that they would plump quite well with the cover on them. And we tackled the slip cover, which was a work of genius. The man or woman who designed that cover should get the award for most creative system of zipperness. After a couple of hours, we had it fully assembled and the still plumping sleeper sofa looking pretty next to my desk with some nice pillows that we had on it, also bought from Ikea. The cover itself is quilted and very attractive and worth much more than the $49 we paid for it. It has such a clever system of zipping. I mean, it really is quite amazing, but it took us a couple of hours easily to figure out how to put it on. Hopefully my son will give it a gold star for a good night's sleep. I wouldn't like to dismantle that whole thing and pack it up again to return. It is a full or a double bed. I don't know. European sizes are difficult to buttonhole into American sizing. So I'll be buying appropriate bedding for it next week. So that's the story of our new piece of furniture. And it will look lovely wherever we go. And where did the time fly to? I'm trying to get shows and guests organized for the holidays. and finding myself sidetracked at every turn. But I'm sure I'll get back into my quiet routine and be able to write again soon. I've not written my memoir for weeks. But it's sitting patiently waiting for me to return my attention to it. No worries that anyone else will pick it up and finish it for me. I'm going to be busy coming up with a menu for the cocktail party we're throwing for our annual Christmas dinner with my reading critique group, husbands included, for this annual event. We're hosting it in our flat and Dorts and her boyfriend are going to be on hand to heat, serve and pour for us. Thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children, who are the result of that belief. The hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Casey, my returning guest this week, Carol Topp, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time to Toginet and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. 
Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. 